You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Will Mavity's interview with the director for the 2022 film Goodnight Mommy, Matt Sobel. Mommy? Mom? You're early. secret. What do you think? What do you think she looks like under there? House rules. No running or shouting in the house. The barn. And my bedroom. Off limits. Something's different. I don't think that's our mother. Matt, how are you? I'm wonderful, thank you. Yeah, are you uh, are you LA based or are you East Coast? I am LA based, although I haven't been home in a long time. Um, I've uh, I, I've been down in uh, the DR shooting a show for like three months, and now I'm in New York, and I feel like I don't really live in LA anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, nobody's from LA, so I guess it, it kind of tracks that nobody lives in LA either at some yeah, point. Everyone just has a house there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I live in L.A. and I'm talking to you from Atlanta, Georgia right now. So, OK, it, it tracks. Uh, OK, so, you know, first and foremost, you know, what made you decide you wanted to remake Good, Good Night, Mommy? Or put your not just remake, but transform it, give your own spin on. I was approached by I, I had seen Good Night, Mommy when it came out. And I was, a, you know, I, I appreciated the original film a lot. Um, it was not my idea to remake it, though. It was uh, the producers at Animal Kingdom who came to me with this project. Um, and I initially said, hey, I understand why you want to remake this, but it's not for me um, because I don't. I'm not a fan of of remaking films just for audiences who don't want to read subtitles. So I think like, good luck. Um, let's meet again on something else. Uh, but it wasn't until I had a conversation with a friend of mine, um, Kyle Warren, who would end up being the writer on this film that I realized with him that we could maybe think about the process of, um, of remaking a, a film in a, in a different way, a little bit more like, when someone if someone were to like restage um a classic play like taming of the shrew but switch all the genders it adds like different themes to the original text and so we started thinking about is it less about translating like the german to english and is it more about transcribing like almost like taking a melody and putting it into a different key like the the basic story of the original 
into a film that has different themes and perhaps even a different genre um, than the original. And uh, we kind of decided that the themes that were really important to us uh, or the theme that was most important to us was really about the human tendency to forever need to see ourselves as the the heroes or the victims of our own stories and forever to avoid seeing ourselves as the villains and the ways in which we'll lie to ourselves and change our perception of what's really happening in order to make sure that's always true um, and how dangerous that can be. And we felt like that was a really topical theme. We felt like it was a, if not explicitly, at least implicitly political theme. And mm. we thought also that the elements of the story of Goodnight Mommy lent themselves to kind of reshaping and mapping onto that theme. And so while I would say the theme of the original film was about a boy who couldn't bear to be alone, I would say the theme of our film is about a boy who can't bear to be at fault. Ooh. And if you are familiar with the original, I, I would uh, hopefully that like tracks. Um, and uh, all of our decisions about the ways in which our film was going to be different than the original spun out of this central idea. So while the original is takes quite a cold, observational, and austere, chilling tone and approach to telling the story of three people. Our film was going to be about a boy and the way that he saw the world. So Elias became our main character. The way that we shot it became different. We're seeing the world through his eyes. We started thinking about the film, at least in the first like 90% of it, as we are the audience is watching the movie inside Elias's mind. Elias is a boy who's living in a reality that he that's too difficult for him to comprehend. And so instead, he is conjuring up a dark, kind of twisted, at times heightened fairy tale in his mind about a monster. And that's the movie that we're watching until we get thrust forcibly out of that movie into something that doesn't contain any monsters, but in a way is actually more horrifying than, than the movie in his mind. And the film ends with him making the choice to surround himself by people, real or not, who will forever tell him that he's a good boy and did nothing wrong and is the best son ever. And um, that, to me, that's a really hor horrifying idea that we can move through the world and cause a lot of destruction and leave a lot of like, you know, mistakes and, 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 and broken things in our wake and forever just sort of repeat to ourselves, we did nothing wrong. Um, and that is the last line of the movie, very much reimagining of Goodnight Mommy with. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Yeah, that's uh that's fascinating and that really tracks I guess with with how I've understood the film. 
Um, one thing I was curious, and I guess this kind of makes sense then if we're, we're seeing it from his perspective, I noticed the actual acts of uh, torture that are inflicted on the mother were kind of toned down here, which I thought was yeah. interesting. So is that in part because I guess this boy couldn't ever imagine himself or his quote unquote brother doing yeah. something worse to the mother? Well, there's a couple of reasons. I am not a huge, I found the original very effective, but I, to be honest, I had to pause it and kind of like take a break because I, like that kind of stuff that like torture, uh, I find very upsetting and almost from the beginning, I wanted to, I appreciated that in the original and I wanted to do something different in, in this film. I wanted the film to be much more about the psychological twists and turns that are going on inside his mind. The question of guilt is forever like on, like even though he doesn't, perhaps for most of the film remember what he where that that where that feeling of guilt really comes from i at least wanted to keep this idea of guilt and culpability on the table throughout the film so him feeling badly about what he is doing to this woman i thought was important and i just couldn't find a way to get this character who is very different than the cold mask wearing horrifying sometimes indistinguishable from his brother version of Elias in the original film. I couldn't find a way to get that character in the, that we have made the audience hopefully care about and empathize with in the first part of the movie to do those things in the second part of the movie and for us to, to still feel for him. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just felt like it was a different movie. I felt like that, that was kind of an artifact of a different movie. And yeah, I, 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 I completely am expecting some people to feel like what happened to all the torture. And I, you yeah. know, I, um, I will say, I, I, we've seen it already in the original. I don't need yeah. this again. <laughs> well, good for you. Uh, now there is one moment that made me incredibly squeamish, made me shudder. Was this uh, dream sequence where Naomi starts peeling off her skin from her toe and it goes all the way up her torso? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the practical effects of making that scene. Yeah, that was really hard um, because by the time that you're watching the skin come off of her leg and her torso, uh, that is no longer Naomi. That's a a, a, a stunt performer who is a very small person because on top of her is one layer of creature special effects prosthetics. And then on top of that is a layer of human skin. Mm -hmm. And so she is actually like two layers of skin <sighs> larger than she actually is at that moment. So we had to yeah cast someone who was like rail thin to do that. <laughs> And it was very challenging to get that they, there was times at which they wanted us to do this all with visual effects. And I was very adamant about wanting to do it practically um, because of some experience that I had on a TV show last year, last two years ago now, um, a brand new cherry flavor where we did everything practically. And I had like some pretty good experiences with that and, mm -hmm. and, 
like really appreciated how tactile everything was. And so I really wanted that like skin when it was ripping to feel like solid and like it had like weight to it. And they actually, they ended up putting, I think like strips of cheesecloth inside it. So as it was ripping, there were like tendons that would snap. Oh. Out of it. Um, because I, I was like, what does skin look like when it's look like way there shouldn't be blood, but it should look like it has some sort of like fiber um, or tactileness to it. Yeah, that was uh, that was very effective. <laughs> I was thinking about that for a while. Another Naomi moment I loved was that uh, dance scene she has. That was just so quirky in the middle of this film. Yeah, just an interesting scene. I'd love to hear you unpack that a little bit. That was Kyle's idea. It was that was all. I wish I could take credit for it, but that was all Kyle. Uh, and the thing that I really appreciated about it was that kind of like you just said it um it happens in the like at a point in the film where there's still enough questions about what kind of movie this is going to be where it like the story sort of like just stops and like possibly takes a left turn into another kind of movie about like inappropriate like things to for a child to be seeing of his mother and like Maybe perhaps like an uncomfortable amount of sexuality that suddenly gets like like shoved into the middle of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I remember watching it in the first assembly that we did, um, and and kind of laughing and feeling like, <laughs> wow, like I I could imagine like audiences when they see this being like ha- having this question of like what like I I just I thought I knew where this movie was going and I suddenly have no idea and that and that kind of made me happy. Yeah, that was also my reaction. So <laughs> we, we made the most out of it. We definitely like milked that scene for sure. Yeah. I was also curious, you know, the uh, the production design in the house is really effective, especially there's this uh, dolly shot. I think you do that follows the boys whenever they're running along the, the upstairs Gangway. balcony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very symmetrical looking. So tell me a little bit about the production design. Well, a lot of that came from the choice of the house. We had our production designer came up with this idea that she wanted to she was thinking, like, what is the most like fun kind of environment to destroy? And she had the idea that this woman was going to be like hippie chic goop mom. And so (laughs) and I and, and she was like, I didn't really have a lot of like context for that before she mentioned it but then she sent me a lot of images and like what if she's very you know ostensibly into like holistic like healing crystals like all this like you know kind of airy fairy stuff but it's all bullshit and like Mm -hmm. she doesn't really know how to like heal herself but she presents herself as like a very like healthy living kind of person but the reality is that like she's living in uh, basically in like a den up in her bedroom and like not even cleaning her plates and like there's flies and shit. Right. Um, and I was like, yeah, let's go for it. And then we chose this house um, based on how like open and airy the um, the great room is, which has this gangway that you're talking about. Um, uh, there was a lot of shots that we knew were going to happen where the boys were spying on mother from upstairs. And we thought that that offered a lot of like interesting architectural ways to shoot from up high like that. 
as well as the fact that on one side of it is the boys' quarters and on the other side is mom's room. And so we when we when we got there, we started thinking about the gangway as sort of like this drawbridge that separates like, you know, like two sides of this castle or something. And on one side is like the lion's, you know, den, and on the other side is like safety. And so like all of these like slow creeping symmetrical shots that you're talking about, I think came from that idea. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. So tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, the part Naomi plays is a difficult one to pull off. What kind of guidance did you give her, especially since for a third of the movie, she can't reveal her face to give us this very nuanced character who seems like mommy dearest in one scene and then obviously is just clearly someone who's struggling in another yeah, well, I spoke with her a lot about the. I, I, at all times, I said, I want you to play the reality of this person. I don't want you to worry about how be. That's me. I'll worry about that. And so there's always should be a reason why she does, why all of these like violent outbursts of her are rooted in reality, even though they from... Elias's perspective and hopefully from the audience's perspective for at least most of the films seem unintelligible mm-hmm. or like their answer lies somewhere else. She liked that idea. And we talked a lot about how this woman is dealing with a lot of very deeply felt, but also deeply suppressed um, resentment and how that is probably quite humiliating upsetting that the thought that she would be incapable of mothering her child um, because she can't forgive um, would be very upsetting and she would want to perform the opposite for him for her ex-husband but most importantly for herself and like anybody who tries to like force a more palatable like container like over top of a very volatile um but true emotion like it's going to break and that swing back to reality is going to be more sudden and more violent than it would be otherwise and so that's where we got this sort of like wild like oscillation between as you're saying like mommy dearest and also like monster i guess yeah okay and then uh little detail the Kid drawings were remarkably realistic. Where did you get those? Did somebody in the crew's kid draw those? 
Yeah, well, actually, it was somebody in the in the. Uh, I wish I could remember his name, but he he was he was a he was an onset dresser who drew like like you know thirty versions of it because we had to rip them up. And I think I, maybe the first thing I think I did a. You know what it was? I found these like. I thought like I was pretty into drawing when I was young and I thought like Elias probably likes to draw too. Mm -hmm. um, if he's so used to having his drawings up on the refrigerator. So I went back and found some of my sketchbooks and, and, and at the time and used them as references. And I gave them to the, the onset dresser who would, who would do this. Um, but I think they were referencing like the style that I probably drew in when yeah. I was, Wait, you still had your drawings from when you were like nine years I old? Called, I called my mom and, <laughs> and I asked her to dig them up. Yeah. Because like when 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 Elias says like, you know, mom would never do this. Mom like keeps all of our old drawings. Yeah. Like that's my mom. <laughs> but that was like a reference to her. <laughs> oh, well, I'm sure she'll uh, appreciate her cameo. Well, we're about out of time, but this was a really fascinating direction to take a remake in. I'm really glad that you guys really did just a, a, a different, entirely different perspective of the story instead of just doing a rote, you know, beat for beat remake. And I think it's something really unique. And I can't wait for a lot more people to see it. Me too. Thanks so much. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Will Mavity's interview with the director for the 2022 film Goodnight Mommy, Matt Sobel, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Goodnight Mommy is currently streaming on Amazon Prime Video. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.